We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And if, if you uh, would turn there, we're going to continue some Christmas-themed sermons. We're going to read about Joseph today. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is what God's Word says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your work in our lives and how you work in us to complete what you want. And I pray that we would be open to that today and that we would learn where in our lives we can surrender more of ourselves to you to be available for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the 1998 NFL draft, the, the Indiana Colts were looking for a quarterback and they had first choice, which means they did not finish last year, the year before all that well. And there were two picks that everyone knew were going to go number one and number two. They just weren't sure what order they would go in. There was the quarterback from Tennessee and uh, Tennessee College, and then there was the uh, quarterback from Washington State. And they didn't know which one which to go. Now, the, the owner of the Colts wanted to choose the quarterback from Tennessee. But he didn't have the money to secure this player, so he sent a a request to a journalist by the name of Hunter Thomas, who apparently had the money. And he's looking for a $30 million loan to get this quarterback. And the the journalist wrote back a letter to the owner. He did not he thought the Colts owner should choose the Washington State player. And here's what the journalist Thompson wrote to the owner of the Colts. He said, In response to your addled request for a quick $30 million loan to secure the services of the Manning kid, I have to say no at this time. But the Leaf boy is another matter. He looks strong, and Manning doesn't, or at least not strong enough to handle that welcome to the NFL business for two years without a world-class offensive line. So yeah, the Manning kid was Peyton Manning, 
And uh, the Leaf boy was a player by the name of Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf played um, for uh, San Diego Chargers. The Colts picked Manning, as we probably know. But Ryan Leaf played for the San Diego uh, Chargers for about a couple years. Then he went to some other places. He was in the NFL for about four seasons. And he, he threw something like... 14 touchdowns and 36 interceptions. He completed less than half of his passes. And after he got off the NFL, he spent 32 months in jail for burglarizing and criminally pose- criminal possession of, of drugs. Um, and while Peyton Manning isn't a saint, I'm not calling him a saint, but he was the success that the Colts were looking for before he retired he had thrown 71,940 yards, 539 touchdown passes, both which were records when he retired. They, my point is the Colts chose who they wanted. It didn't matter if the guy was going to give them $30 million or not. They said, this is the guy that we want. And it ended up being the choice that, that really propelled the Colts into a competitive team. Now, I'm trying to make the connection between that and us as believers. We're not in a draft. It's not like there's a list of us that are better than others and God is going to pick number one draft, you know, or or anything like that. But my point is that God sees, sees us and sees something in us and says, I want that person to serve for me. And he looks in us and and it might be someone that, it, it, we, we might think God would never choose us. God would never choose us for this particular purpose. It might be that we think just differently about ourselves. Or that other people are saying, you really shouldn't pick that person. If you really, God, if you really want to do something, you need to choose this person. But God says, no, this is my guy. This is my girl. This is the person I want. I mean, we, God chooses those he wants to use. We see that a lot in the Christmas story. If God could have chose anyone to be the parents of his one and only child. The, the second person of the Trinity existed in all eternity, but then when he decided to add a second nature and come down and be born, he could have been born by a king and been lived, lived in a palace, and had a royal life. He could have been born anywhere in the world by anyone that God chose. And God said, I want to choose Mary and Joseph to be the custodian of this child. And so what can we learn today about how God chooses his servants? Why was it that he chose Joseph? I'm going to talk about that today. He chose Mary as well, but what, what is it that we can learn about that? And that's what I want to look at today. And so first, when, when we're talking about God choosing his servants, first we can see God chooses those who seem the least likely to carry out his plans. God chooses those who might seem to be the least likely to carry out his plans. 18 and 19, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
You know, Joseph might have been the least likely person to choose here. Like I said, he wasn't a king. The best we can tell, he was a carpenter. I'm not sure, probably a family trait about his father. We don't know much about his father. And, and that's about all we know about him and, and this particular story. And so God chose to have this couple who wasn't married, and so the pregnancy would cause a scandal, and they were going to be whispered about for the rest of their lives. Even when Jesus is an adult, some, some people were questioning his heritage. But God said, this is the man I want to be the father of my son. He wasn't the son of a priest, wasn't son of a prophet. But what was it? He may not have been the most likely to carry out his plan, but that's who God a lot of times chooses to do his work. The people who, who may not seem like the, the, the right person for the job in our eyes. I mean, think about the Bible characters through all of Scripture. They were full of flaws and sin, and God used them in mighty ways. We, find, we read about Noah, and Noah ends up getting drunk. Abraham lied about his wife so that he could, he could live. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson was filled with anger and lust. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter denied Christ at the crucial time of Jesus' life. And Paul was someone who killed and imprisoned Christians. And every one of these God used in the way that he wanted, in spite of their flaws, in spite of their sin, because they were willing to, be, to let him be used. and God, Look, if God chose only people without character flaws, first, there'd be no people to choose from, because we all have them. And if there happened to be someone without character flaws, and God did something through them, the temptation would be to be drawn to the person. And saying, man, I want to be like that person. Or I look at that person, I want to follow him instead of giving glory to God and saying, look how good God is and God's working through him. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 says this, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. He chooses the foolish and the weak and the people who are despised so no one can go before God and say, look how good I am and I did this for you. A servant of God would would be used by God and stand before him and say, the only good I was able to do is because you did it through me because I am fully sinful. And so he, he uses the foolish and the weak 2 Corinthians 12, 19 and 10, when Paul was talking about the thorn in his flesh, this whatever it was that was hindering his, his strength and his, his, his viability, so to speak, 
he said this, and he has said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God uses the foolish and the weak and the spies so that when his work is done through us, people know it is God working through us and it's not us. And so he might use somebody who doesn't seem likely to be the person he would use. But he does it so people would know something more is going on with them. On Thanksgiving Day, I watched more football than I think I had all year. And by saying that, I mean I watched a football game because I haven't watched any I sat with my father-in-law, and we watched the Alabama and Auburn football game. And while I'm not um, a real big college fan, since Jessica goes to Auburn, I've wanted to watch, and they got beaten to a pulp. But anyway, they, it, was, it was a good game. But I noticed the quarterback for the – and all my illustrations won't be football today. It just, it just happens these two are. Um, the, the college uh, – the, the Alabama football player um, had big crosses on his cheek – coming down. You know, instead of just the black lines that the football players put on, he had the black line and then he had a cross. And, and uh, I didn't know what that was, so I looked him up. His name is Tua Tungavilua. Tungavilua. Tua Tungavilua. And uh, he was, he, uh, you might have heard his name recently because he was one of the two probable finalists for the Heisman Trophy this year. Um, the guy was a really good quarterback, but I looked him up and, and wanted to find out about him and found out he's a strong Christian from Hawaii. They call him the Hawaiian Tim Tebow, if that gives you any um, insight into him. And the coach, uh, Nick Saban at Alabama, said he was the kid. He's like, of all the kids that I've ever had come, this, this kid is the one who goes to church with me every time I go. He's in, he's in church with me. Um, he he's a, sounds like a committed Christian. And it was refreshing to, to hear someone with outspoken faith and someone who follows Jesus that close. And I kind of caught myself saying, just think about how many people this, this guy could bring to Christ um, in, in, his, uh, in his position. And, but see, that's, that's the danger that I'm talking about. Because there are times we see maybe a celebrity who has come to know Christ, and we think, boy, God could really use somebody like that, right? Because he's famous, and you know they're good-looking, and they've got charisma, and there's all this stuff about them, and that's the person who God really could use. And God doesn't say that he's going to use the rich and the famous and the talented and the good-looking, and the uh, whatever else we might put on there. He says, I'm going to choose the weak, and I'm going to choose the foolish. That gives me, that gives me great um, encouragement. I'm going to use the debased things, the things that are not, not the things that are. He says, I'm going to use the things that are just not. Whatever, whatever it is, they're not that so that he can nullify the things that are, and so people see him in our work. That's the, that is the, 
Those are the people God wants to use. If you ever said God could never use you because of your past or because of some sin and, and, and you think that Christ sees you in that same way, then that, that is your thinking. You're thinking God can't use you, but see, that's exactly who God wants to use. God says, I need broken people to be my representative. I need people who are forgiven of all their sins so they can go to others and say, I've been forgiven and you can be too. And so he, that's who God chooses. He chooses the unlikely, not because of their skill, not because of their looks, not because of their social standing. He chooses them because of their character flaws. Isn't that good news? He chooses us in, in spite of those. God chooses those who might seem less likely. God also chooses those who are receptive to his leading. That's another aspect of that. It's not just those who are least likely, but also those who are receptive. Look what it says in verse 20 through 23. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God sent Joseph a messenger, an angel, and he said, Joseph, I'm doing something bigger than just you. You need to listen to me. You need to follow my leading. It's bigger than his understanding. He says, first, the Holy Spirit had conceived a child in Joseph's wife. They were betrothed, but in, in the ancient Near East, there was, be, being betrothed was pretty close to being marriage. You needed a divorce to be unbetrothed. They weren't husband and wife just yet, but they, they were in a lot of different ways. Something that had never happened before, something that would never happen again. God was creating a perfect intermediary in Christ in, in the person of Mary. I don't know how the mechanics of that worked. I mentioned last week. But the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary a child so that Christ would have a human nature and still retain his deity, his godly nature, but would not inherit the sinfulness of humanity. He becomes the perfect intermediary. First, he's told God has done that. That's huge. Second, he says, Joseph, you're going to have a son. He tells him the gender at conception. Usually we have to wait for a while. And back then, they had to wait until the baby came out. You just didn't know. And so he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name his name Jesus. And the name Jesus is based in the same word as Joshua in the Old Testament. It literally means Yahweh is salvation. He says, your name, you're going to name this child Yahweh is salvation and because your child is going to save his people from their sins. He says, it's a big thing, this kid. And so Joseph was willing to hear this. He didn't wake up from the dream and say, nope, not, not my, this isn't in my plans. This isn't my, 
my schedule, things aren't working the way I want, and so I don't want any part of this. He was receptive. He listened, and he took it in. He didn't shut off God because things weren't going the way he wanted. And he wasn't bitter. He wasn't hard-hearted because of his wife. I'm sure he was broken-hearted when he heard Mary was pregnant. But it doesn't seem like he held on to that, that bitterness and unforgiveness and all that. We need to be receptive to the words of God is all that I'm talking about here. When, when God speaks, we need to be receptive to hearing that. He speaks through his word. He guides us through the Holy Spirit, and we need to be receptive. We need to have the heart, what the psalmist said in Psalm 25, 4 through 5. It says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Being receptive means I am I am looking and trying to find what God is saying in his word. I spend time in the word. I spend time in prayer. But most times, like he says, it means waiting for you. I wait all the day. It means being willing to hear from God and waiting until you do hear from him. God, uh, Jesus told all the disciples at the end, go into all the world, go Go, he tells them again and again, but he tells them first, he tells them to wait. He says, go to the upper room, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has fallen. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit has come, then they go. Sometimes we have to wait. Most common way we hear from God is through his word. That's why Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The the word, if if God speaks to us through his word, then we should long for that. If we want to hear from God, we need to be in the word of God on a regular basis, seeking out what he is trying to speak to us. It's not a mystery. There's not something hidden in there. I mean, you read most of the New Testament and Paul's sayings, there's just lots of commands of what to do. It's not secret. It's not, you don't have to know some sort of secret code. Um, There are some books out there that try to tell you that, but that's not the truth. God's word is plain, and he wants to speak to us. And when we get into his word, we hear from him. And it's amazing because the scripture says it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It just, when we open the word of God and we think, I don't know what this has got for me today, and I, you, you read through it, and it pierces into your heart. And you say, this is what God is trying to tell me. And it relates to what you're going through that day. We long for the word like a baby longs for milk. That's why it's so hard to stay in the word. That's why it's so hard to be in the Bible. Because Satan says, he, he kind of whispers in our ear, don't, you don't need to. Right? And he'll just tell you, don't, you don't have time today. And it's not, it's confusing and it's too hard and it's boring and he just whispers these things because he knows if we read it, we will hear from God. And so he keeps us from it. 
Jesus himself said this in John 8, 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. And for this reason, you do not hear them because you're not of God. If we're not receptive to God's word, we need to examine our hearts. Are we followers of God? If we don't like the Bible and find it repulsive and just don't want anything to do with it, we need to examine our hearts. He says the reason you don't hear them is because you're not of God. Because when we come to Christ, He gives us a new heart and a new desire. In fact, Ezekiel 36.26 says, Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Being Having a receptive heart means you're allowing God to remove the stone of your, or your heart of stone and putting in a, a heart of flesh that will, will be malleable and he can penetrate and speak to. When, when someone has a coronary arterial sclerosis, arterial sclerosis, I have a hard time getting my tongue to say that. When someone has that, they, they have what's called hardening of the arteries. About 20% of those cases will have what's called a chronic total occlusion, which means they have a complete blockage of the artery or almost all, almost a complete blockage. And, and the blood just can't not get to the heart. And some of you know about some of that. In September 2018, a company in Quebec by the name of Soundbite Medical Solutions, they created a new technique with people to help people in these conditions there's a there's a, a little wire they call a sound bite wire and they attach it to a shockwave generator and it goes in and it starts acting like a little jackhammer into those completed completely obstructed arteries and it doesn't break it up because if it broke up then there's chunks floating around in your arteries and they that will cause clots and that would cause heart attacks well what this does it just creates a crack through the blockage so they can get another wire and the little balloon in so that they can do the, the uh, procedure. I forget what it's called. You all know it, where it, it, it uh, opens up. They did this on tests on animals. It was shown effective, so they started doing it. Um, angioplasty, that's the word. They, they, so they were able to do angioplasty. Now, we're not talking about hardened arteries we're talking about hardened hearts but but god's word is like that sound bite wire it's like a little jackhammer coming in and chipping away at our hard heart and it chips it away and chips it away look every time we reject god every time we reject following his word our heart becomes more and more callous and harder and harder and that's why it is not wise or a good thing that when we know what God wants us to do and we refuse to do it, it hardens our heart. 
If God is calling us to salvation and I continually reject it, my heart grows harder and harder every time. But listen, Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine says this, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? That's what God's word can do. No matter how hard someone's heart is, the word of God can come in and pummel it and break the, the stone away and make it receptive. When, recept, when we are receptive to God's word, he will, he, he will, his word will come into our lives like a jackhammer and just start chipping away at the hard stuff. When we trust him, he'll give us a new heart, a new spirit, exchange our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And when we're receptive to his word, we, can, we, we see him able to start working in our lives. He chooses those who seem less, the least likely to carry out his plan. He, he chooses those who are receptive. But we also see one final thing, that, that God chooses those who are responsive to his leading. Look in, look in 24 and 25. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We see what kind of man Joseph is here. He heard the word of God, and that's a good thing, but we see that he did the word of God, which was the more difficult thing. Take Mary as your wife. And that meant forever People would be whispering, that's not really Joseph's child. Y'all know that, right? Jesus is eight or nine years old and running around, and someone in the neighborhood saying, I remember when, that, when she was pregnant and he didn't get her pregnant. And, and there was just that whispering going around. It made a hard life, I'm going to guess. It's harder to do it. He heard it, and then he took Mary as his wife. He kept her a virgin. And when the baby was born, he did just like the angel told him to. He named him Jesus. He heard God's word, and he was responsive to that word. He, he obeyed. And that's the point of Scripture. The whole point of Scripture is to obey it. It's to do it. Howard Hendricks says that, that you can study it, and you can interpret it, but if you don't apply it, you're not doing what the, the word of God is called to do. James says in one twenty two, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. When we just hear the word and just bring it in and it never makes a difference in our lives, we're deceiving ourselves that we're in right standing with God. We, when we start saying this word is for them, it's not for me. Luke 8.21 says, that Jesus, Jesus answered them and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So when we surrender to Christ, when we give our life to Christ and say, I'm going to follow him, we're not just saying we're making ourselves receptive to the word. We're saying, I am a servant of God. What he says, I will do. And he says, that's who my brothers and my sisters are. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and 
observe it. We're not only brothers and sisters, but we're blessed. And blessed means more than happy. It has the idea of God's favor raining down on that person. When you hear the word of God and receptive to it, but then obey it, God's favor comes down upon you. He says you're blessed. And that's why when you see a Christian living according to the word of God, living obedient to it, they are happy. It seems like fortune is kind of smiling upon them. Things might seem like they're going wrong, but somehow they're walking through it like, like nothing is bothering them. It's because God's favor is raining down upon them because they are obedient to God's word. But there are those out there who are tantalized by new teaching, new theological thoughts. They never put into practice anything they learn. They just want to hear and hear and hear, and they never apply. And that's not who, who God is talking about. In, in fact, Ezekiel talked about, God told Ezekiel about people like this. Ezekiel 33, 30, and 20. Listen to what God said. But as for you, son of man, your fellow, fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are like, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. God was telling Ezekiel there, there are people who love to hear a good sermon. Right? And they will, I, and I, I love to hear a good sermon too. And I'm hoping one day you guys get to hear one. But anyway, the, but I'm just saying they just love, and they'll go to church, to church, to church, and they'll love to hear the word. And it's like someone singing a beautiful song on a great instrument, but they never do what is being preached. God is looking for his servants who will be willing to do what he says they need to do. I've read that, and I don't know how true this is, it might have been true in times past, but in training Arabian horses in the Middle East desert, the training is really rigorous for these horses. They wanted horses that were really fully obey their master. And they're tested by depriving the water from these horses for a couple of days. They can go a little longer than some other horses uh, w without water. And they deprive them for water for a little bit. And then their, their training is tested by letting the horse loose where there is some water. And the horse goes up after being deprived from some water, goes to the, the source of water, ready to drink it. And right about when they're ready to, their owner, their master, blows the whistle for them to come. And if they've fully been trained, they will turn and come to the master who will give them all the water they want to drink. But it's trusting 
that the trainer knows best and has their best in mind. I mean, the trainer doesn't want them to die of thirst, and he takes care of them, and they have their very, Arabian horses are very people-oriented. They want to please their owner. And so they trust that their owner knows best, and their source of water is here. I'm so thirsty. This is what I want, but the owner has called me. And so I need to go where he is called, even though I need this water, because they trust that the owner will take care of them, and he gives them everything they need after. God knows what his children need, and he wants to supply it, but that means we must trust him and submit to his word. And when he says, if you do this thing, it's best for you, even though it doesn't look like it, we need to follow that and turn and go the direction the master is calling. God is looking for those who are willing to open who, who are willing and open to hear his word and who will respond in obedience. Now, I don't know where each of you are at today, but the first, first aspect of this is somebody who has surrendered their life to Christ. If you're someone today who's never trusted in Christ, you, you are not following him. You're living your life for you. The first step that God is looking for is people who are willing to surrender their life to Him. And if, that, and if you're sitting here saying, well, God would never forgive me. God would never use me. That's, I'm sure, what Joseph thought. And God did His greatest work through most Joseph and Mary. Obviously through Christ, but I mean through this Mary and Joseph, Christ came. Maybe you think you're the least likely person here for God to redeem and God to do his work. But I tell you, he loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And if you would trust in Christ's work on the cross, your slate would be wiped clean, never to be written on again. You'd stand forgiven before God. Maybe you're a believer, but you haven't been receptive to God's word. You're not, you, you really don't want to be in the Bible or you don't have time for it. Maybe today you need to make the commitment, I'm going to spend time hearing from God in his word. Or maybe you're someone who is reading God's word, but you're simply not obedient to it. And today you need to commit saying, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. That might be leading out in a particular ministry. It might be ministering to the person that God has been telling you to minister to. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through these decisions. How would God have you respond today? You've heard God's word. Is there something he's speaking into your heart that he wants you to respond to? To obey, to do? If you're someone who's never trusted in Christ, trust me, trust the word of God that says, it is better. Life is better. It's the way God intends you to live. Would you trust in him today? Before you leave today, would you trust in him? It's just simply asking God, God, I know I'm a sinner and I want you to come into my life and change me.
you're a believer today and you need to be more receptive to the word or maybe you need to be more obedient to the word. I pray you respond as God leads. God, we thank you for your word and I thank you you use people like Joseph, people with flaws like us, people who are imperfect, people who seem the least likely to be used by you, but you choose us and love us and forgive us so that we can be used by you. Thank you for that. God, for the person here who doesn't know you, stir in their heart right now to turn their life over to you. Let them know, let them have a sense of the joy and the purpose and the freedom that comes from being forgiven and loved by you. God, for those who are believers here, help us to be lovers of your word, to desire the word of God like pure milk. But not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. Speak to our hearts. Encourage where we need encourage. Convict where we need conviction. Help us respond in the way you desire. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.